Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. If you're like me, you spend lots of time poring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Welcome to the Truth From Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Spartan Forge. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you are listening to episode number 297. Today, I'm joined by Jonathan Moreland to talk about a season spent chasing a state record with a stick bow. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine in the past, like, two, at least two days, I want to say. Yeah, the past two days, this past weekend. Um, man, the mornings and the evenings were feeling very deary. 
uh, got down into like the 50s at night. Uh, the one place actually, I was pulling some uh, trail camera cards. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, it actually got into the into the 40s. Uh, the one night, I think the high was 48 or 49, or I'm sorry, the low was 48 or 49. So that was pretty exciting. Uh, it definitely gives me that feeling that uh, slinging arrows is uh, not too far around the uh, around the corner. But going to try to keep this up front as short as possible today. I got a lot of stuff I got to get to um, this afternoon. One of which being, um, I've had my new bow for, for a couple weeks now. I've been shooting it. I set the sight tape whenever I first picked it up. There's always kind of that, you know, um, adoption period, maybe we should say. And when I got it, I actually was working through the a shoulder and a rib injury. Um, and so my, my, I'm shooting the bow great. It's a shoots killer, but my sight tape is just like, two to three yards off that I'm noticing at, at long range. Like whenever I'm in 20 to 30 yards, I'm fine. But whenever I'm shooting out to like 50 and 60, I notice that I'm consistently shooting just a little bit high. So I'm going to head out to my buddy's, my buddy's shop out to Bob and AJ's, uh, just cause they have some distance that I can shoot, go out today and set up my, uh, and reset my sight tape, which just should just be a minor adjustment and be, be kind of quick. So I have that to do today. And I'm kind of jammed up for time because yesterday I spent um, in the North Piece pulling trail camera cards. Yesterday spent a full day, just kind of drove up on a day trip and uh, spent the day there hiking through the mountains, pull, pulling trail camera cards and have some good talent on, um, on on camera. Pretty stoked about it. The one thing, too, that I always that I always kind of forget about until the weather kind of starts to dip in, the temps start dropping is, uh, man, I don't know. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but just having a... Uh, like eating lunch in, in the in the mountain or drinking, you know, I had my my water filter system with me yesterday that I'm taking to Idaho, and as opposed to just carrying a bunch of water with me, I just stopped at a stream and got some water, doing stuff like that. Simple things like having coffee on a tailgate, taking a jet boil and having like a little pour over pack and making coffee on the tailgate in the morning. It's just those little things that remind me that falls right around the corner. That I mean, I love deer hunting and uh, and, and chasing bucks. Don't get me wrong, but there's part of me too that. Uh, that really kind of enjoys those small things that you kind of, when it's stupid hot out that you don't really enjoy that whenever the weather starts changing and it starts to feel like falls around the corner, you start doing those things again. That's, those are the kind of signs that kind of get me jacked up in, in thinking about, in thinking about fall. But with that, the truck camera card pool was awesome. Uh, some really good velvet on, on camera. Uh, so certainly have some prospects up there. Uh, we'll wait and see, um, what happens with the shift last year, we had some good deer around that, you know, ended up disappearing, uh, once fall rolled around. So we'll see who, who stays around and who doesn't. But as of right now, I want to say six to seven, uh, shooters, I would say, um, in a, in a couple of different places. And there's probably, uh, I don't know, probably three, four, maybe as many as five cameras that haven't even been checked yet. Uh, so there could be, uh, there could be more than that, uh, which I imagine that there is because the hand, handful of cameras that haven't been checked just because they're in, on, uh, another completely different piece from where I was at yesterday. And it's not a long drive, but it's a little bit of a piece, uh, a little bit of a, it's not a hike. It's a, you have to get in the car and drive to the, to the spot. Um, so I didn't, I didn't get to it yesterday cause I ran, ran short on time cause it's a couple hour drive from my house and I need to get home to do some, to do some stuff with the family. But with that, Speaking of velvet, 
as you know that I've mentioned the past couple uh, past couple episodes, our buddies over at Exodus Outdoor Gear have Velvet Fest going on. You know, when Velvet starts kicking, you start pulling those camera cards. It signals for sure that we're that things are getting ramped up and just about ready to go. So from now until August 19th, our buddies at Exodus will have some killer prizes for people who use the hashtag VelvetFest on social media. And, uh, and and that way they can kind of track along with what, whatever you have going on in the Whitetail Woods. Every single camera that you order from Exodus comes with a random prize card. I've been told it includes some pretty huge deals, uh, even including some of their all-new Exodus MMT tailored arrows to help share in all the excitement for the upcoming season exodus is offering 18 percent off site-wide except their new mmt arrows uh, those are not included prize cards are included with every single camera and arrow order just scratch the card and you'll find some uh some winnings in those and also use the code SUMMERBUCKS, it's all one word, S-U-M-M-E-R-B-U-C-K-S, at checkout to save 18%. And exclusive to podcast listeners only, so for those of you that are tuning in, they'll extend this offer to the end of the month. So don't overlook this uh, opportunity to save some cash and get a killer trail camera at the same time time. Uh, over the last seven years, you guys know this, my buddies at Exodus have been making quality trail cameras that just that just flat out work. They come with a five-year warranty, theft and damage policy. That's literally half a decade that you're going to be covered by the five-year warranty. No one else is doing that, but more than likely, you're not going to need it. I was checking cameras this past week that have been out for multiple years, just hanging and rocking, especially some renders that have had in some kind of uh, intimate spots, if you will. Those things have been hanging for several years now without doing anything more than maybe swapping out some batteries. And I also run an SP18 um, uh, solar panel on that as well. They also launched, as you guys have heard me mention, the the Exodus MMT Arrow this summer. This arrow is a tailored arrow built to your spe- uh, specific specifications using nothing but the best and highest grade components. Head to their website to use the 3D 3D builder and experience the best shooting hunting arrow available. I've been slinging those for the past, I don't know, probably month and a half and they're awesome. Super consistent, man. I mean, I've not had groups this consistent, just consistent arrow flight like this that I can ever really, ever really remember. As I'd mentioned, I need to kind of adjust my sight tape, but what helps me with that is that every arrow is kind of flying consistently. So I know that it's my sight tape and not something wonky with an arrow or they have a weird one in the in the bunch that just kind of wants to be a flyer every every time I every time I shoot it. So make sure you're checking out their site and checking out their uh, their new arrows. Also be sure to take pet uh, take part in the uh, Velvet Fest celebration and tag uh, their social media account because they're going to want to check out what you guys have going on this summer. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show have on Jonathan Moreland. Jonathan is from Arkansas. And I came across this fella, um, he was, I saw a video come across my, my feed in YouTube and I was like, man, that's a giant deer. I, I should check this out and ended up kind of watching the whole thing. And it's this crazy encounter, um, that Jonathan had with this world-class buck and he's doing it all with a stick bow and he filmed the entire thing. Um, it's awesome. I mean, Jonathan's just a, just a hell of a hunter. He's one of those dudes that, the moment you talk to him and start talking deer hunting, you can tell this is like it's it's in his blood. It's it's who he is, and he's and he's damn good. Uh, he's damn good at it. He's doing it in uh, in Arkansas, which was a place that I've never I've never been to, never hunted. I don't know that I've ever had a guest on from Arkansas either, and so it was really kind of interesting to you know hear and listen 
to his experiences hunting in Arkansas and, and how that might be different from from what I'm experiencing. How how some of the things that we experience, uh, you know, even though we're hunting very different places, how we have a lot of similarities that we've kind of experienced in, in, in different kind of pockets. So with that, we'll go ahead and jump into today's show. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. Gang, one more thing that I forgot to mention before we jump into today's show is that I will be having Greg Godfrey on from Tethered uh, to announce the saddle winner. We should be recording this week, so that episode, I think, should come out next week. So next week, you should learn who won the saddle giveaway. Thank you for everyone who has submitted a rating and a review and entering the uh, and for entering the giveaway, and we should be announcing that next week. And so now, without further ado, let's get to the episode, and thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I have on a gentleman that I was actually scrolling around and I don't know how I missed this video earlier and how I just I came to find it this like in the past couple weeks. But I saw this image of a of a hammer deer and uh, from Arkansas. And I was like, oh, interesting. You know, don't see a ton of giants from, from Arkansas. I was like, I'll check this out. And I kind of noticed this fellow was hunting with traditional equipment, which piqued my interest even more. And then I saw the reaction after the uh, after the after the uh, the fatal arrow was flung, and I was like, "Dude, I gotta have this guy on," because <laughs> he was he was jacked up, and you could tell he was just ate up with uh, ate up with bow hunting. And I have on none other than Mister Jonathan Moreland. What's going on, man? Man, it's going good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, buddy. How's uh, how's your summer been? You uh, you chomping at the bit? I know we were just talking a little bit about our plans that we have going on. So you chomping at the bit to get started? I am. I am. Like I say, I'm. I'm I'm behind on the on the elk training that we're heading out here to do in a couple of weeks, but uh, the deer they they stay on my mind, so I'm pretty fired up about that. Yeah, yeah. What I found, man, is you know probably not telling you anything you don't know already, but going out west, it's one of those things. Like I can do as much as I want to do before I get there, and I always feel like the first day or two I'm still kind of sucking hind teeth. You know, it's like, there's just no way to plan for those mountains unless you live in those mountains. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Especially down there in the flatland. We don't have anything to really prepare for the elevation up there. So it's, uh, yeah, we're, or for me anyway, I'm always behind when I get out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear that, man. But, uh, so the whitetail stuff, you have any, uh, you have some good prospects this year for, uh, for the upcoming year. You got some, some oh, actually, yeah, I went out, I guess the first time Sunday actually uh check some cameras and uh got some decent deer on camera nothing nothing just giant to get get super excited about but some good good mature deer that i wouldn't mind uh running air through out of my stick bow for sure right that's good yeah i'm right now i'm kind of uh i've got so i hunt a couple different places i hunt some stuff that's close to me you know that would be local to me you know when i say local within like a 45 minute drive and then I have some areas that I've been scouting. It's a little bit further away, some like big mountain country that I've got a couple good deer up there that I know of, um, which I'm excited about, but nothing local to this point. Um, it's, uh, it, I, I do need to do another camera check and hopefully I've got something on there, but if not, then it looks like it'll be a lot of, uh, burning up the boot leather this year, trying to figure out where they're, where they're at. Cause they're not showing themselves quite yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it's, if it's like down here, I don't usually get, get too worried about it early. I mean, we, a lot of times the deer I usually key in on don't even show up till, you know, September, October. So, yeah, that's last year, you know, I've kind of seen that on these pieces that I hunt, like the years that I have some good summer stuff, it ends up being the worst fall where I just can't seem to locate anything and they just all kind of transition. And then last year I didn't have, I didn't have much to speak of during the summer. 
But man, when fall rolled around, I had a, I had a lot of good deer to chase, uh, and it was and it was a fun fall, you know. But it, like to your point, I don't think the I don't think I saw the first one till probably sometime mid to late September was the first time the the one that I ended up chasing showed up. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, before we dive into the to the goods, uh, if you wouldn't mind, man, let let folks know you know where you're from and uh, what you do for a living. Just a little bit of background about yourself. Uh, yeah. So I'm uh I'm from Dumas, Arkansas, which is southeast Arkansas, southeast portion of the state. Um, I work for a company, uh, Greenpoint Ag. We sell chemical seed and fertilizer uh, to the farmers around this Delta country down here. So that's what I do for a living. Uh pretty busy in the spring and summer months but it it does allow me to get a little free time in the in the fall and winter to do some hunting so you know it works out pretty good for the area right um does that uh does working in the the seed and fertilizer space does that get you some connections with some uh some some farmers that maybe makes it a little easier for some no, permission? Uh, <laughs> people down here are pretty pretty picky about their about their deer hunting. yeah so you basically got to kind of wherever you, you know, we, which I hunt a lot of public also, but not, not exactly. It's, it's pretty, uh, pretty all locked down as far as, <laughs> as far as private land goes around. Right. Here. Right. Yeah. I hear you, man. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's similar here in Pennsylvania, you know, big hunting heritage, pretty much anyone that has some land, you know, around, you know, land enough to hunt likely hunts, you know, that's kind of the, the story around here. So I, I, I can, I feel your pain there. You know, yeah. you, you maybe have a friend or someone's parents or something like that, that, you know, that's, it has a couple acres somewhere that you might be able to slip onto, but beyond that, you know, it's uh, yeah, you, you ain't going to find a lot of luck, a lot of luck with that. But how did you, uh, how did you get started hunting, man? Was it, I mean, I'm assuming where you're from just based on, you know, what I know of Arkansas being, you know, a hunting kind of state. I'm, I'm imagining it was probably just something that, you know, whenever you came of age, it was just something you were going to do. And it was just, it was what it was. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty common thing from where I'm from. It, you know, you know, most of my friends all grew up hunting. Uh, I was fortunate. My dad uh, carried me and my brother every weekend from a very early age. I think I started when I was probably seven and, mm. you know, killed my first deer when I was eight. And, uh, you know, that's just all we knew. Right. Uh, got into bow hunting. I was 14. Uh, when I bought my first hunting bow, I'd always shot bows at, you know, 3D shoots and stuff, you know, uh, as a kid, but bought my first hunting bow when I was 14, uh, killed a doe with that bow that year. And man, ever since then, it's, it's been bow hunting ever since, Right. uh, just fell in love with it. And basically if basically I've built my life around hunting uh ever since then so what was it i'm always curious you know people get into bow hunting at different stages so i grew up like i mentioned in pa hunting heritage state so it was kind of a birthright you know whenever i came of age to be able to go hunt it was going to happen and i started following my dad around in the woods when i was a kid and and stuff like that but my dad wasn't a a big bow hunter he would take a a recurve out maybe in you know in october when you get a a good windy october day and he would just kind of try to stock something in its bed or whatever the case was but he didn't do a ton of hunting uh, with a, with a bow necessarily. So it was a lot of gun hunting. So I didn't get into bow hunting till, till much later in life, you know, as an, as an adult. And yeah. so I'm always curious, you know, what, especially as at a young age, man, what was it about bow hunting that really kind of tripped your trigger? And then what is it since then that continues to trip your trigger? 
Uh, no doubt, just being, just getting as close as I can to the animal, you know, just really getting in the zone with that deer. Um, you know, that just in the challenge of it, um, you know, I, for me, I just can't describe what, what I feel when I, when I'm focusing in on, you know, a particular deer or for that matter, any deer that I can get within, which I like to get within 10, 15 yards. I've, I've started traditional bow hunting and I started doing that in 2010. And when I, when I killed my first deer doing that, um, man, I, I just, <laughs> the sad, the self-satisfaction I get from that, I can't describe it. And it is truly my passion in life now. And, uh, I just, you know, I plan on continuing doing this, you know, till the day I, till the day I die. Right. So it's, it's funny. The guys that I know that hunt with traditional equipment all, all say the same thing. Like I love getting, getting close, but they've all said to me and they've, you know, I have a recurve. I play around with it a little bit once in a while. And, and I have ambitions of, of someday kind of, uh, adding it at least to my repertoire, if not making the transition in, entirely. I haven't kind of got the nerve to do it yet. Just being being honest um yeah but that's the same thing that they they all say they're like once you do it with the with traditional equipment they're like it's there's nothing like it you know there's and, and it's i was talking to a, a fellow the other day and he's been hunting with traditional equipment for the past two years he's ended up he's killed five bucks in two years with traditional equipment his first two years hunting traditional and, yeah, that's that's salty. Yeah, it is salty. <laughs> and they and they weren't scrubs either. I mean, they were they were good deer. And um you know, and he's from New Jersey, and what he said was in part was that, you know, not a super target rich environment for good deer. And so, you know, maybe every year he didn't have a caliber of buck that he wanted to necessarily chase or target. And so mm-hmm. he was like, I made the change because he's like using traditional equipment, man. He he's like it makes every deer you kill buck doe hundred inches, 160 inches. It don't matter. He's like, it makes it a trophy. He's like, it's, it's not, he's like, it's not easy to do, you know? And so he's like, yeah. I, he's like, part of me did that because it just, it added in that like element of, um, satisfaction of like an accomplishment back to, you know, any, any successful hunt essentially. Yeah. I can agree with him 100%. That's when I made the swap, uh, I guess it's been about 12 years ago that, that partly was reason why I switched to the area I live in. Um, you know, guys were killing really good deer with rifles and compounds. And at the time I was hunting and in an area where I, you know, just didn't have a lot of great deer. So, and I killed a lot of deer and I thought, you know, I'm a, my old man had a recurve and I pulled it out of his closet and I strung it up and practiced a little with it and decided I wanted to try to kill a deer with it. And, uh, when I did, it just, I was like, man, yeah, this, this is for me right here. Right. And, uh, you know. I, I think any traditional guy you talk to will say the same thing that that guy did. It's just, there's, there is no feeling like it when you, when you get it done with a stick. Right. Yeah. It's uh, I have buddies on both sides of the fence. Like I have a, I have a buddy, I have a, you know, some buddies who are all traditional and they're like, dude, do it. Just make the plunge. You won't regret it. And then I have other buddies going like, man, this is hard enough. Like why you want to try to make it harder on yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I will say for the most part, it's, if you go traditional and, and I've got, I've had a lot of buddies go traditional and they go back. If you're in it, you know, if you're specifically in hunting for the size of the antlers or for the trophy, traditional bow hunting is definitely not going to be for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's tough. You're not, 
there are guys out there that that are very consistent every year killing trophy deer with with traditional equipment but it's you know that's that's a that's a rarity it's a you know it's a struggle man yeah i had my one buddy on and he killed uh he killed a uh a, a brown bear in alaska with a stick bow which yeah that, that, that's awesome i was like <laughs> i was like man you got cojones the size of watermelons bro i was <laughs> like <laughs> i was like because that's truthfully it's that's my dream hunt is to do uh, a brown bear hunt in alaska with a bow I was like, but I don't know if I'm trying to get that close. I was like, I might use a compound for that one. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, it's, that's, uh, as you said earlier, that's, that, that there is salty, you know? So, but yeah. man, you're from Arkansas. I've never hunted Arkansas to be honest with you. I've never even been to Arkansas. And so I have, I'm really kind of ignorant when it comes to what deer hunting is even like there, the caliber, caliber of deer that you guys have in general, the deer numbers, you know, what is, what is kind of the state of deer hunting there and, and you know, what is it like, you know, bow hunting in, in Arkansas? So Arkansas, is, it's, it's very diverse. Um, the northern, the northwest part of the state is, is pretty, I call it mountainous. It's, uh, you know, it's pretty hilly, pretty rugged. And then down here where I'm from, the southeast, it's, you know, it's flatland. It's, this is all flatland down here, river bottoms, uh, hardwood timber mixed in with pine in places southwest arkansas is pine country mm-hmm. um so it's pretty diverse it just depends on where you're at now like i say, where i hunt it's uh mainly river bottom land and it's it's hardwoods it can be you know we hunt places wmas that's wide open the prettiest timber you've ever seen and then there's areas we hunt that's you know so thick you can hardly walk through so it's just mm-hmm. you know it's just kind of all relative to what part of the state you want to you want to hone in right but you're in that um, southeastern part where you have a lot of it sounds like you have a lot of hard timber and, and bottoms is what it is what it sounds like yes yeah. yes for sure and so i mean I, i'm again I'm, I'm i'm ignorant so i mean do you have a good is there a good kind of you know oak population you know as far as like acorns drop in you know is there a heavy logging kind of industry to help <laughs> with like clear cuts to create that diversity of habitat in places or you know when you do, do yes. you find so, there is okay yeah so so basically my, my hunting style for the area I hunt in, um, you know, I'm usually 80% of the time I'm, I'm finding a feed tree to hunt over. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of persimmons in the area I hunt, water oaks, um, nut alls, and uh, honey locust. Uh, those are the four primary trees I'm looking for uh, to try to key in on a deer. So what, what is, I heard you mention, I think a nut all tree whenever, mm-hmm. when I was watching that video of Roadrunner, I think mm-hmm. what, what is a nut all? Cause I'd, I'd never even heard of one of those. So that is a, that is a species of tree in the red oak. Okay. It's a red oak. Okay. Uh, the nut all typically in my part of Arkansas usually starts dropping. The earliest ones you're going to find start dropping are going to be depending on, on the weather patterns, you're going to be that last week of October, first week of November. Mm. Um, prior to that, earlier in the year, that's where I'm focusing more on, on trying to find persimmons and your water oaks are dropping early, early October also. Okay. Um, Got it. So, you know, it's kind of relative to the time of year, what I'm, what I'm trying to key in on. Right. And so, so it, it sounds like the next thing I wanted to ask you as, as you were kind of talking, I was thinking, is there, is there anything, so it sounds like you you spend the fall kind of chasing the food to, to a degree. And I mean that in a good way where it's like, you're trying to stay on top of whatever the, however the food source is changing, but 
is there is there an aspect of you know terrain or habitat beyond that that food that you've found either consistent success around or that you've had consistent kind of encounters around like for me for example you know i know in some of the places that i like to hunt it like almost every primary scrape that i find for example is under a beech tree almost mm-hmm. all, you know and so i know like when i go into an area if i'm either it's new and i'm scouting or if i you know if i know of something that's in the area i'll go check pockets of beech trees because i know that that's going to be if there's going to be good sign laid down that's likely where it's going to be you know and so is there anything like that, that you've kind of focused in on that you've kind of been like man i pinpoint these areas because by and large this is where i have my my, my best encounters yeah absolutely just about every mature deer that i've killed except for a few are usually on some sort of feed tree hmm. that is next to a very thick area. Okay. Um, that's the tree that I'm looking for. I, I call that my ice cream tree. Right. Um, you know, there's 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 a lot of a lot of trees in the area depending on where I'm at, and you know, usually that that mature deer is going to use that tree tighter to that cover. Mm-hmm over the ones that are you know in an in a open area so what I, what i typically do and a lot of these areas i've hunted i've hunted for years so i i know you know there's a couple wmas that i've hunted since i was literally 12 13 years old right you know killed my first squirrel in them so i know <clears throat> just about every tree out there i've got them all marked i go in that's what i did sunday i go in I find which trees have produced over the years or you know for this year what has produced i mark those and then you know, I'll come back later on. It saves me time, you know, not having to go to the other ones that hadn't produced. And I, you know, I'll kind of start there. But what I do is I, when I find a, a, a tree that's being actively used, I backtrack from there. I try to figure out where I think the deer's bedding. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not always certain on that because it's, you know, down here, a deer can bed anywhere. Right, right. I don't, you know, down here, it's, it's, it's very different from the Midwest. A deer down here can literally bed anywhere mm-hmm. so i just try to figure out where i think he's coming from and that's how i how i go about with my setups right so let me ask you this so like the say for example like the public that you hunt and stuff like that mm-hmm. like what what is the size of those just and you don't have to give me specifics i don't want you to give anything away that was like a specific size but just give me like a general is it are we talking like consistently kind of a couple hundred acres couple thousand <laughs> acres tens thousand acres like what's what's the size kind of look like yeah they're all they're all going to be thousands of acres okay blocks of a public yeah okay um and and i can kind of what i was talking about the tree next to the cover i, I can kind of give an example back in uh i guess it'd be 2016 i killed a <clears throat> he was 116 steer on public on public land mm-hmm. um with my longbow and i killed him over a, a honey locust tree hmm. uh which i'm not sure if you're familiar with those but they, they produce a long long bean pod and mm-hmm. For whatever reason the bucks really like to use those trees uh in our area down here hmm. and me and a buddy were actually scouting that piece and i had pictures of this deer three quarters of a mile from where i killed him <laughs> and when we found <clears throat> when we walked out of that thicket and we walked up on that tree i, I looked at my buddy i said I, I didn't say i would kill that deer but i told him i said i will kill a buck right here Mm-hmm. and two weeks later I, I killed that deer under that tree like babe ruth calling um, your shot on that one <laughs> i mean and you know it's it's one of those deals i can i can honestly say uh, a lot of the deer i've killed when i find that 
that ice cream spot, it's it's almost like you just know something's going to happen there. Yeah. So so what is it that kind of tips you tips you off to that, right? Because you could find any other tree in a general area that would be close to that close to that cover potentially, right? But what makes what is it that tells you that's that it's a specific tree? Well, it's it's <clears throat> it's the amount of sign under that tree. Okay. It's relative to how far your your the the tightest cover is to it, mm-hmm. and then and then obviously if I have a tree within fifteen to twenty yards to get a good setup on with you know also thinking about where that deer's bedding and and if I have the the right wind to hunt that spot. So if I you know when I'm doing my scouting and I come across that spot, it doesn't take me long to kind of figure out you know yeah this this is you know this is going to work. Right. You know if I come to a spot and I I'm not confident about it, I just don't get that good vibe from it i you know i i don't waste my time there right and how much sign do you want to see there you know in in, like all right so that's that's also relative to you know the area you're hunting some of some wmas we hunt have a lot more you know a lot better deer density Mm -hmm. and then you know some of the bigger pieces with the wide open timber you know you don't have to find a whole lot of sign or i don't have to find a whole lot of sign you know to want to hunt that that spot but it that's all you know, that's, that's a broad question because right. that, that's going to defer, you know, depending on where I'm at. Right. No, I, I totally hear you there. Cause that the spot in the North that I hunt is a big, is a big piece of tens of thousands of acres, you know, and it's a lot of wide open and you'll hit some pockets of thick <laughs> stuff. And, and that's kind of, you know, I, this will be the second year I've kind of played. So last year I scouted at a bunch, ran cameras. Um, and I think I hunted it twice. And so this year I have a little better idea. So I postseason scouted it again this year and it really took me kind of like that first that first season of scouting to find sign. And then it took me, you know, this off season to kind of understand what, what a good pocket of sign is versus what no, you know, what little sign is. Cause I wasn't a finding a ton. So in that area, like one or two rubs in an area, that's like, that's like a money spot. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you might, you might yeah. go, you might walk two miles and not see anything. You know what I mean? That's just how that place, exactly. you know what I mean? And yeah. so, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying there. Cause you know, I know there's good deer there and if, and you'd see the pictures of the deer and see the sign that they're laying down, you would never believe it's the same, same place. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? But so when you're setting up, man, so it, you're kind of hunting bedding areas, you know, you're kind of a, a bedding hunter to a degree cause you want to be in close to that bedding cover, but you want to find that ice cream spot that you kind of described. Now, when you do find that, let's say you're in like, october sometime right mm-hmm. when you find that spot you know do you kind of go in and and hunt it aggressively or do you try to lay back gather more intel and then figure out when you're going to strike or do you just kind of like once you find the spot you're like i'm going into kill and it's all there is to it <clears throat> so i mean i do hunt areas more than one time but i i always you know i never go in with a win that i don't think is going to be right for that spot so right. i you know, I can like the deer I was talking about earlier when I, I killed him on the third sit. Now I hung a lock on that tree. Mm-hmm. I killed him on the third sit, but I only went in with the with what I thought was the perfect win for that spot, which ended up being the perfect win for that spot. But he, he come in the day I killed him. He come in, you know, it just worked out perfect. Doesn't always happen like that, but it, you know, it right. did for that for that time. Right. Um. So yeah, I just don't. You know, I won't just hunt it every day until something happens. So I always try to try to line the stars up. And, and of course, you know, you have to have a little luck on your side also. Right. Right. Yeah. How much are you like, so when you're, so when you're looking at the wind and watching the wind, you know, how much mm-hmm. are you, 
um, trying to figure out how to ask this. How much are you giving the deer the wind versus making sure that you're clean? Because that's always like a that's always kind of a a razor's edge, right? Especially when you got a mature deer, right? Because you you almost yeah. have to give them the wind and screw yourself to a degree, but have something in your favor to keep you clean right. enough to get an arrow off. So how how thinly are you cutting that? Yeah. So you know I've heard guys talk about the killing wind, and and I can agree to that to to some point, but mm-hmm. I. You know the the way I do it, I you know I I'm going to play the wind for which way I think that deer's going to come in, and you know I, I can say I've I've sat in the tree, and as anybody knows, a mature deer sometimes when he if, especially if I'm hunting over feature, sometimes he's going to want to loop around and come in downwind, and of course he's going to bust me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know the, the ones I've killed, they they've come in you know kind of at an angle, kind of on that just where they're wind. just not that's right just right on that off wind yeah. uh, and then and then of course i've had them you know the big deer i killed a couple of years ago he come in just just as as perfect as he could mm-hmm. you know upwind from me so mm-hmm. you yeah. know it's just it's i feel like sometimes it's 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 somewhat dependent too on how comfortable are they in that area you know, you know yep. what I mean? Cause I've seen, and I've talked to other guys that have seen this too, where it's like, they'll get into like a certain spot where that deer just kind of throws caution to the wind, but other, any other time they would have an encounter with that deer, he's like, he's, he's on point, but there's like a spot where it's like, he's just so confident of his surroundings that he just, he'll make, he'll consistently make mistakes in that spot. And almost only that spot alone. Have you seen that too? Uh, you can watch that video from 2020 and see that that right. deer just felt <laughs> comfortable. I mean, that that's all there was to it, you yeah. know. I, and I've never—that's the only deer I've encountered like that. So, you know, I I think they're just—you know—I've hunted deer. I hunted a, a really big deer in 2019 that I saw three times. My brother saw once. He was a 170 steer. We were hunting him on public, and we just could not. I mean, he. I mean, he whipped our ass. We we could not kill him, could not get in on him, hmm. you know. So it's just, I don't think there is a magic potion out there. I, I think every now and then you have to have a little luck on your side, but I just, I, I try my best, and I'm in the woods a lot. I just try my best to put myself in a, where I think I'm going to have a good opportunity. Right. So what is your, what's your favorite time of, of, of bow season? You know, are you, are you an early season? Cause you know, some guys I talk to, they really like to pattern. Right. And so they have mm-hmm. ones that absolutely hate anything after like, uh, basically anything after Halloween, they hate it because they want, like they, they kind of lose the ability to kind of pattern the deer because now it's like, maybe that deer's five miles away or whatever. And so they really prefer, you know, the earlier part of the season, the better for them, you know? Yeah. And I also have other buddies who, where it's like, man, they just, they love the rut. And that's when they prefer to, to hunt. If they're going to have to push all their chips to the middle. So I'm just curious, yep. are you more of an early season guy, rut, late season guy? What's your preference? Um, honestly, I'm going to say right there in the middle. Uh, what, what I like, what I've noticed over the years is um, right before, and, you know, I think this is relative to what part of the country and, you know, mm-hmm. when they start to rut. But, but down here, there's a, there's a window there where they, the deer really, especially the mature deer, like to move, you know, there's four or five days. They really like to move in daylight hours. And I, I think maybe they're, you know, if they're feeding up to get ready for the rut or whatever it is, but that's when I can really pattern some, some of these deer to some of these, these features. Right. Uh, and I, I utilize a lot of cameras. Um, uh, and 
I would say my favorite time is probably that time, but also it's relative to where I'm hunting. There's there's some places I hunt in funnel areas that, you know, that's not hunting over feed trees that those areas I definitely, you know, I want to be there during the prime prime rut. Right. So what were, like, if you had to pick like three or four, like uh, a, a window of dates, you know, what would those, what would that three or four like dates be that you would want to focus on? Oh man, it, it's really tough because down here I have to take in consideration the rifle seasons and all that with the pressure in the woods and right. Um, you know, for me the less pressure is definitely going to be early. And if and a lot of times if if I do have a have a mature deer on camera, I can pattern him mid October uh, to the first part of November. So you know if you if you held me down and told me to pick three or four days, I, I I'd say right there at the the end of October first part of November. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause it's one thing I started doing. When does your, when does your gun season come in down there? Ours comes in the, I believe it comes in the 12th or 13th this year of October, November oh, of November. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. So smack dab, like when things should be. Oh yeah. When things are, when things are kicking off the rifles are cracking. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. That means you got to get her done early. <laughs> You know, it's like if you got if you got a bead on something, you know, the the, the quicker the better. Because yeah, you know, which you know. usually by then I will shift gears, and you know, they're they're WMAs down here that are bow only, so we hunt a lot of those during when rifle season comes in. So that's kind of that's kind of okay. what I do. Nice. So when you when you ended up transitioning to, well, I guess let me ask this: you said 2010 is when you transitioned to traditional archery. Is that correct? Yeah, Roughly. 2010. I'm always curious, you know, and this might be just like selfishly a- asking this question because I'm <laughs> trying to gain intel for myself. But like, what was the hardest part of making that transition from compound to a traditional to a stick bow? Um, you know, I, I'd say the hardest part is is probably your stand setups because mm. now I, I look at it totally different. I, you know, I won't. And there, I'm not a, I'm not a great shot. I want that deer eight to twelve yards. So I set up for a twelve yard shot, no matter where I'm at. I, I set up for a twelve to fifteen yard shot. Um, and when you, when you, when you're scouting or when I'm scouting now, I mean, you you pay more attention to detail because I, I really have to make sure I'm I'm set up correctly in order to have that deer within 12 to 15 yards. So <clears throat> I think, and I think any traditional bow owner tell you this, I think it, you know, as you, as you start your journey on the traditional bow hunting, it, it will make you a better bow hunter. Hmm. Um, just because you have to, you know, you have to pay attention to everything. Um, you know, there, there are times when I really, I find really good areas. I love to hunt, but there's no, there is no setup for me. You know, I, I know, you know, for, you know, the tree that I need to be set up in may be 40 yards away. Well, I, you know, I can't make that shot mm-hmm. with my recurve longbow. So, you know, I, I, I just go on past it. Whereas if I was hunting with the compound, you know, it, that'd be great. Right. Um, but, but also you say the hard part, I think <clears throat> trying to find the confidence mm. with your, with your traditional bows is going to be, going to be really tough also. Right. Um, I think once a, once a man or woman finds that once he builds his confidence up, uh, you know, 
you're ready to roll then. Right. Yeah. Cause I forget if I was listening to something or if I was reading something and, and, and the person I was, that was either that wrote this or, or spoke it said that making that transition, like what they kind of found to be hard was that, you know, um, there's everyone kind of shoots differently. You, you know what I mean? Like there's no kind of one set way that you have to do this. It's just, however it feels comfortable to you that you can be consistent. Yeah. And, that you're probably going to change how you release three or four times until you finally find the one that works for you. Like you're going to shoot this yeah. way for a little while. They're going to shoot this way for a little while. They're going to shoot this way for a little while. And then finally you're going to be like, well, this is the one that works best for me. You know? And then when you really get going, you're going to get on the internet and you're going to see 1500 different guys telling you, you need to do this. You need to do that. And it's going to take <laughs> you a long time to realize you do what's right for you. Right. And don't worry about anybody else. That That's going to be hard for guys too. You right. Know? Right. And, yeah. I mean, I think that that's even hard. You know, I think that that's part of what is hard for some people just in general, you know, like, you know, killing, killing a deer that makes them happy versus passing one that would make them happy because they're afraid what someone else might think of it. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, and no it's, doubt. And it's, a, and it's, a, it's a shame, you know? It really is. That is it's really a pet peeve of mine. I mean, I, <clears throat> you know, I'm all for anybody. And no matter what weapon it is, rifle, compound, crossbow, traditional bow, you know, if you're happy with that animal, that, that it should only matter to you. Yeah. As long as you're doing it legal, it should only, you know, if you're happy with, with whatever you kill, however you kill it, it that should be that all that matters. Yeah. And, you know, for me with traditional, I, I really enjoy the challenge and, and I also enjoy the challenge of, of trying to sell film and, and capture it on film. And that, that just adds to the challenge and it's cost me a lot of deer over the years, but, I'm to the point now that I, I don't necessarily have to have a deer on the ground. I just, I love being outside and I, and I really love that challenge and trying to get really close to that deer. And, you know, like I've said before, there's when you, when it all comes together and you watch that air disappear behind the shoulder that you've been practicing for all year and you've put in all the time, uh, you know, with your stick bow, it's, there's nothing like it, man. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, a buddy of mine and I, we, we've talked about this in the past, and, and we've both always kind of said that, you know, whatever deer you kill, big, small, whatever the case is, you know, there's really only a handful of people that care. Like, when you get right down yep. to it, you know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> yep. if I kill a good deer or a small deer, like, my wife will be excited for me, my daughter, right? And, yep. one, you know, maybe two or three of my, my best buddies, you know, that'll, that'll remember it, you know? And we might talk about it, you know, two years from now or whatever the case is. But outside of that, 99.9% .9 of the people that either know me or are acquaintances with me are going to forget that I ever even killed that deer. Yep. You know, and so yep. I don't, I just don't understand why people spend so much time worrying about what people, what people think of what they're, what they're doing whenever they don't have any, they don't have any skin in the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's. You know, my favorite thing, I <clears throat> I got a lot of buddies that, that rag me up, man, why do you why do you post pictures of your of your does? I you love know, it. With your, yeah. And I'm like, man, I'm dude, I'm proud of that doe. Like I <laughs> yeah. I work for that doe, you know. I, I mean and and I love to shoot does. I you know, it's, I just I love to kill deer. Yeah. Um a lot of people think that I mean I've I've been fortunate enough to kill some good deer, but I, I don't I don't measure my success by by inches. Right. I measure my success based on the you know the amount of time i put in the effort i put in and i don't care who you are when you pick up 
a stick bow, you are going to put in that time if you want to be successful. And it feels good when you, when you get something accomplished. Man, I love what you just said right there. You said measure success by effort. Like that is such a good, like just little nugget that it not only applies to, to bow hunting, you know, it's, I, I had a, you know, off the topic of hunting, it's like, I kind of had a, uh, not an epiphany, but I had a, a realization a couple weeks ago and it's actually helped me a ton just in like day-to-day life in general, to be honest. Like I, I started, I started doing jujitsu, right? Several months ago yeah. and absolutely love it. It's awesome. It's hard. I get my ass beat every day I go in there, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Cause everyone, most everyone there is, is better than me and have been doing it longer than me. And it makes you appreciate the journey. And it made me kind of stop and think about like, I was like, man, why do I like to go in there and get my ass kicked every day? You know what I mean? Cause I love it. Like I, I literally get like butterflies before I go into train. Like every, every time I yeah. go to train, I get butterflies, I get excited. And it's the same thing when I get to go bow hunting, I get excited. I get butterflies, you know? And I was trying to figure out like what the connection was. And I was like, when it comes right down to it, I was like, I just like to do really hard things because I, because I can. You know, and, and, yeah. and I'm able to do that and be okay with someone being better than me or someone shooting a bigger deer than me because I'm not wrapped up in whether or not I'm achieving success by filling a tag or, or choking someone out. I'm measuring my success on how much am I challenging myself and how much am I putting into it. And that's, well, the, and that's say, my reward, <clears throat> you know? Right. You're definitely ready for a recurve then, man. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, doubt about it. Right, right. That's all that's awesome. So maybe I just sold my sold my own self on a recurve there. <laughs> oh man. But I mean, to 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 speak to that point, I mean, like you mentioned, like, you know, you're just as proud of that doe as you are a good a good deer, and that you appreciate that journey and doing hard things and stuff like that. To the to the point that last year you made your own bow. And then went out and killed a good deer with, with that book. He talked to me about like, what, what inspired you to want to make a bow? Like, that seems to me like, like, I, I don't know that I could do, I, I'll just be honest. I couldn't do that. I don't think. And that to me just well, seems like crazy that, that to make your yeah. own bow, like it's gotta be so satisfying to do that. Oh, it was, man, it was, you know, it's one of the proudest deer that I, that I've ever killed. Uh, and, and it all goes back to the, to the, you know, amount of effort and, and time you put into it and and i'll have to say with with that bow um uh, i've got to give a shout out to mr mike yancey i went up for a couple of days with him and uh learned from him and we built that bow and just the time we put into it from start to finish and i mean there was just there was uh, there's really no i don't i'm not a smart enough man to articulate into words what i felt like when i when I finally got that done and it, you know, and like I said, it, it was, it wasn't easy. I missed, I missed two deer last year with that bow, uh, before I, before I finally killed one, um, which I'm, uh, I'm definitely not the, the greatest bow maker out there. So, um, uh, you know, it, and it's, uh, man, it was a struggle with that. And I, and I don't know how much more I've definitely hunt with it some this year. I don't know how much more of bow building i'll try to do because it man that is a time consuming process and i really love to you know I, I love to be in the woods and scouting and hunting as much as i can right um but uh but yeah man and i think what i what made me want to do that is just the challenge you know mm-hmm. it, it's just another level and it's just 
you know, I really love the the challenge of of trying to get it done the hard way, and that you know that's just a another step up the ladder. And, and man, there are guys out there that actually, you know, flinting at their own broadhead, or, yeah. you know, their own. I mean, there there's guys that take it way beyond that. You know, it's 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 amazing what you can do if you you know you really set your mind to it. Right. I mean, I'm too, well. I guess I have two questions. The first one is, how long did it actually take to make that bow? So that bow actually only took two days to make holy smokes are you serious two days which now now i'm with a a, a man that's a bowyer uh, his whole life so right. basically you know we built this bow together right um the only time we used he he used a we used a table saw to to cut the stab up a little bit other than that it was it was made strictly from hand tools wow um we uh yeah two days what uh what what do you use for string on that so he he actually makes his own string uh i'm not sure what what actually the material is hmm. um but when we finished it it was really amazing to me i picked it up and he picked it up and he took it outside and he grabbed three arrows out of his bucket and put three arrows at 12 yards inside of a softball and said, "Yeah, man, this you're ready to go." And I, I mean, literally, first three shots, and of course, the first shot I I, I shot and didn't even hit the target. You know, air, so air I mean, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it it took a lot of a lot of time in the backyard for me to get that thing lined out for me. But uh, but yeah, man, that was a that, that was a cool deal. Yeah, last man. Year. I think the other thing that's intriguing to me about traditional equipment too is that because it is a little bit more time intensive, like you really start to intimately know your equipment. And I think with the technology of bows, just in general now, nowadays, I feel like people feel like they can spend less and less time with their equipment and they don't truly know the limitations of it. And I think yeah. that that might be sometimes where some of the discouragement comes to. And it also gives them a slightly false sense of uh, a false sense of their cap their own capabilities because they have these you know, bows that are shooting these crazy speeds now and heavy arrows and et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, man, you feel like you could knock down a, a bison from 150 yards, you know, when the reality is yeah. that your shooting circle, your, your own capability really suggests you should probably not take a shot beyond 20, even with, right. a compound, you know what I mean? So I just, that's the one thing that I've always kind of noticed from trad guys is that they just, they have a way more intimate knowledge of the capability of their equipment and what the limitations are. Yeah. And you, you know, you, I know most guys and for sure myself, I've, I've got two bows that I'm, you know, they, they feel like they're an extension of my body, you know, I, and I'll, I'll have them bows till the day I die. Right. Um, you know, and I know, you know, compound guys, they're buying a new bow every single year, right. you know, the latest and greatest, latest and greatest. And, you know, but, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's all what you want to do, but you know, the traditional deal, it's more about, you know, my favorite thing, people ask me, well, how far was that deer? Well, I'm like, well, he was too far. You know, the whole it's not about how far, it's about how close you get. Right. You know, that that's, yeah, it's just, it's just a different ball game and it's, it's not for everybody, but if, if, if I, I really feel like anybody that tries it, you know, is going to fall in love with it. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I'm probably going to be calling you at some point for some pointers here in the next probably like 12 months. Once I get through this season, it might have to, uh, it, I'm not going to lie. I've been perusing some traditional, uh, bow sites, kind of looking at them and 
I'm kind of intrigued with a with a longbow versus a recurve. What what's your opinion? Oh man, it's that's totally personal preference. Oh, yeah. I shoot both. Uh, I've got a I've got a recurve I really like, and then I've I've got a a longbow that I really like, and that's that's totally personal preference. Okay. Um, and I and I I'll be the first. Guy, I'm the last guy you want to talk to about shooting form and shooting style. I do my own thing. It works for me. And it's probably not going to work for you. I mean, <laughs> I'll never be the guy to, to try to explain to somebody how they should shoot because, you know, I, I, I a, a professional shooter could watch me and and say, man, this this guy's he he's not doing it right. But it but it works for me. So right. Well, speaking um, of uh, speaking of working for you, man, I want to jump in and talk about this Roadrunner deer. The, I watched that the video that you that you self filmed, which was which was killer by the way, like to catch all that footage, man, the number of encounters you had with that deer was just, was completely. Unreal. Yeah. That, that deer took three to four years off my life. For sure. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah. Man, sure. that, that was a rough month. It really was. It was a, that was a stressful, stressful month. Um, like the, the first encounter, and I want to walk through stepwise, like how this all kind of came about, but I just got to say like that first encounter you had, it seemed like that deer was there for forever. And I'm sitting there watching you and I'm like, dude, I would have come unglued by now. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're watching this. Yeah. So that animal. Yeah. So that actually was, I think you're actually talking about the second time I saw him because the first time I saw him, I didn't get him on camera. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. You're right. Yeah. The, the first time I actually laid eyes on him, uh, uh, Cody actually run him out of the thicket. Yeah. And run him by me. And, and I, I really got lucky because the that was the same day I pulled the card, the camera card that I, I had a, a picture of him. Mm-hmm. And I ended up it was a almost a almost a half mile from where I pulled that card is where I sat that evening. And it was just by the grace of God that I saw him. And when I saw him that, that evening, that let me know I was in the I was in the general area. Right. And of course I, I slung cameras everywhere in that area. Um, the next few days and then <clears throat> yeah the second time i saw him is when uh yeah man i watched him for a while and i filmed him and he was actually coming straight in thought i was going to kill him that at that moment and i, I think that's when the hog come in and spook yeah. him off yeah, yeah yeah so so i want to back up for a second so when did you when did you first learn of this deer like when did you know this deer actually existed not necessarily hunting him but like you knew like you have yeah. a confirmation that you, there's a giant deer that you're aware of that you can actually hunt. Yeah. So that I, I mean, I, I may not be certain on my dates. It was either the first, or second, third, something like that of October. Mm-hmm. There might've been, I'm not sure it's two years ago, but you can probably watch the video and it'll tell you. But if I want to say it's the first or second of October when I, when I pulled that camera card and I actually had a picture of him, I think it was like the 28th to 29th of September. Okay. So that's when I first, knew about it so you didn't have any and prior it, like the year prior no. or anything like that so there was not like well so actually and i didn't know all this till you know at way after the fact that i killed him i had two pictures of him the previous year hmm. he was a and i'm about 95 percent certain it was him he was probably 140 inch 10 point okay um and these pictures were in february and then, like I say, when I when I first learned of it, it was actually that first part of October, and that the day 
and it was about i won't forget it was probably 10 or 11 o'clock when i checked that camera mm -hmm. that evening is when i hunted and i saw the coyote running by me that evening so i actually okay. saw him the same evening i pulled the card and, and knew he he was there okay so so all right so this deer may have it may be the same deer from from february but he made a big jump so it's it you know in the in the real time you didn't recognize that you know it was just a hammer deer no deer. no like i say, I, right. I didn't even know about the, the other picture till way after the fact right looking looking back right oh uh, so you get this you get this trail camera picture of this deer right and then you said you mm -hmm. you know went on like a a, a trail camera hanging frenzy <laughs> to try mm -hmm. to yep. locate where where he was at so once you learned this deer, what was your, aside from kind of hanging cameras? Well, actually let's, let's, let's start there. What types of places were you focusing on to hang cameras? Like, did you. So, so I saw him that evening and I was in a, <clears throat> I was in a little pin oak flat. I'd actually gone in that evening. I told my brother, I said, I'm just going to go in there and try to shoot a doe <clears throat> this evening. And then in the morning I was going to spend all morning scouting. I was just going to make a, a giant circle basically like i like to do backtrack from the from the cemetery i had a picture of him on mm -hmm. i was just going to backtrack try to find the nearest cover and maybe some more feed trees in that area to, to sling cameras on and that's right. basically what i did except i saw him that evening and i immediately the next day i went everywhere in that area slinging cameras on every feed tree i could find right and that kind of helped me put a pattern to him Okay. So at that point you got your cameras up, like in, you know, you, you haven't got any other pictures of him yet. Right. So you got your cameras hung. What are you, what is kind of like your gut feeling as far as like what you're kind of, so, what you're kind of scheming, if you will. Right. Cause like you don't see a giant deer like that, hang cameras and go like, I'm just going to wait to see some pictures. Like you're I know, right. like, you're going like, all right, what do I, I'm going to make a plan. Cause I, maybe he's a ghost and he may never show up on camera again, but I got to figure out how to hunt him. Even if I don't have camera intel. Yeah. So initially I thought the deer left the country because when this coyote was chasing him, he wasn't just, you know, he just didn't spook him. He was running this deer and I've, I've never seen anything like that. Hmm. So I, I initially thought this deer was, I would never see him again. Mm -hmm. And I actually put a camera up that evening, that night when I climbed down, I put a camera up that night on that pin oak tree I was set up on. I come in there. The next morning, I got up like I planned. I went around everywhere, probably within four to 500 acres of that, that area, covered it. I had every camera I had at the time and put out. And then I went back to that tree. I was going to hunt that tree again that evening. I checked that camera card, and that bastard was in there at 1.30. I missed him by, <laughs> by 45 minutes. Oh, man. It's so the, like he, 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 he never left. You know, wherever yeah. that cow was running to, he, he, he got in, you know, he never left the area. Right. Now there was a, and then I guess kind of fast forward to the second time where you're kind of watching my same, the hog runs off. And then, uh, there, uh, you know, a few days went by and I think we get down to the 13th of October. Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually, he, he comes in, I, I moved probably 200 yards mm -hmm. from where I first, for where I first saw him. <clears throat> and, uh, he comes in right at dark under the pin oak I'm set up on, and I put air in. Yeah, so, I make a bad shot on him. So when you made that 200-yard move, right, because a lot mm -hmm. of guys would have just went right back to that same tree. 
You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And been like, man, he's going to come through here again. What was it that was telling you I need to move 200 yards this, this direction? Um, one, it was the, the cover, like I was kind of explaining earlier, it was mm-hmm. tighter to the cover. And also I had, I, it was a tree that I had put a camera up on and he was hitting that tree more than any other one. Okay. And, and, that, and that's at that, you know, at that point in time, that, that's what he was doing that area there. And I believe it was the, I think it was the first sit in that spot on that 13th when, uh, when I shot him, you know, I should have killed him that day. Right. Um, made a bad shot and I can't describe to you what I felt like. Oh man. I like my, my, my gut dropped when I saw that, when I was watching the video, I was like, like, I, and, and initially, you know, you can tell by my reaction, I wasn't, I thought I actually heard the deer go down. Mm -hmm. I definitely wasn't hundred percent sure I got him. I mean, you can, you can see that. And, I ended up slipping out of there and we got back to the truck. Uh, my brother was actually with me that evening. We, we had spread out because he was, he, you know, he was trying to kill him. Just, you know, we were just trying to get this deer killed before rifle season come in. Right. And, uh, I told him, I said, man, I shot him and I, I, I just, I don't know. We got it. We got to pop the, pop the card in the, in the computer to look. So we did. And, and it actually sounds like, listen, you, you hear at, hindsight's 2020 but he ended up running through a blowdown is what 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 you hear on that video where i thought i said you know i thought i heard him go down so kind of speed things up a little bit we we give him i think we gave him three or four hours at night and i said all right let's let's go in there at least walk to the spot of there see if we can see any blood or anything Mm -hmm. and we get in there and, and my brother and i both we've shot enough deer to know if it's good or bad right and uh we immediately when we get out there and i don't find anything at the spot of the shot and we walk 40 50 yards where he went nothing at all i knew it was not good right so, so we 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 just we get out of there yeah. and i said we'll just come back in the morning and i a deer i mean that i've never once in my life had an opportunity to hunt a deer that size i immediately i already knew what i was going to do i i had a really good friend in Louisiana with a with an awesome blood dog. So I got him on the phone and he was willing to come the next morning uh, to try to trail this deer. And we uh we get in there the next morning and it wasn't ten minutes that dog <clears throat> trailed the deer and found my arrow. <laughs> and when I laid eyes on that arrow, I knew that this deer was not hurt at all right so and we immediately got out of there (laughs) yeah 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 for sure so i'm curious man at at this point you know what are you thinking like you just flung an arrow at the biggest deer you've ever seen hitting but you know he's not mortally wounded right like Mm -hmm. like my like pessimistic mind would have went right to like Man, you got to be kidding me! Like, there's no way this deer, like, he's out of the county at this point. Oh, like, dude, you, he got a like a coyote blew him out of there. Then I stuck an arrow in him poorly, and like, he's got to be like, what is going on in this area? I'm not coming back this season. Yeah, I, I can't say what I, what I was saying, what I was feeling. <laughs> like it, it was, it was bad, right? Um, because I knew, I, I knew what kind of deer he was. Mm-hmm. and here i am i just you know i just wounded the biggest deer i've ever seen in my life 
Right. So, so but with that being said, when I when I <clears throat> because I was worried that it was going to be one of those deals where it was a marginal shot, and you know maybe we find him, maybe we don't. But I will say when we found that era. I actually felt a little better because I knew he was alive. I knew he was not hurt at all. Right. I had like two to three inches of penetration, no blood. Um, we we blew it up time after time after time on the on the TV to look at it, and I knew that that deer was going to make it. So, me and Miss Brian and his dog, we get out of there. I carry him back to his truck. He leaves. I go right back in that area. And I grab every camera I have and I go right back in that area and I put cameras out everywhere. Hmm. I mean, everywhere. And I mean, this is how wild it is. And then there's a camera on a tree, on the tree my brother was hunting. And it was actually an early drop in nut all. This is 13th October. Normally your nut alls aren't dropping until the last part of October. Right. So when I'm leaving, it's almost dark. I'm leaving, getting ready to go back to work the next day. I pull that card out of that camera and I go to the house. And before I take a shower that night, I pop that card into the into the computer just to see what's on it. And I'll be damned if that deer is not on camera. Like I forget what it was. I mean, it was eight or nine hours after I shot him. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't even a, yeah. It wasn't even a day. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, you can see him. He's licking his wound. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, and I'm like, dude, you got like, you got to be kidding me, right? So, you know, I go right back into, you know, I've got a chance, right? And so, so at this point, right, like to your point, you just said it, like you're like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm not completely out of the game, right? You had that mm-hmm. encounter, so you're making a move. I think it was the 31st of October. Is that, I think that I think that's when it was. You were ma- you were making a move to a particular tree, so yeah. So yeah, you shot him at one spot, right? And then you see him on a camera at another at another spot on another tree. But when you made yeah. that move, you went to a different spot. So what was like? What was the thinking behind where you ended up setting up the thirty first? So well, so there's time in between there that I actually, you know, I I, I cut man it, the the video could have been three hours long. I, I cut a lot of it, so there's a time frame in there. Where after all this happened with the wounding and and I, I've got muzzleloader season coming in in three or four days, right? And I I swallowed a huge chunk of pride. I knew I was you know the chances of me ever having an opportunity to do like this again were slim to none. Mm-hmm. I actually borrowed a muzzleloader for three days, <laughs> going there and hunt that deer. I was going to do anything I could to kill that deer, yeah. and I never I never saw him. <laughs> um. So muzzleloader goes, gets by, nobody, nobody killed him. And you would have heard that, that caliber of deer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You would have heard. heard. So, so, so I knew he was fine and I, and I, I had, I didn't have any, any pictures of him during that, that window. And then we get on down to the end of October. Um, I had a camera on two different nut offs that had started dropping. And I had, I had one or two pictures of him on one of those trees. And that's where I started hunting uh, at the end of October. And I saw him on the 30th, I believe. Mm-hmm. I believe that's the evening I got some footage of him. Mm-hmm. And he just skirted me just just out of my range. 
And I think that's that's the fourth time. And I'm like, I mean, is this like how many lives does this, does this deer have? <laughs> I know, right? But that evening, I saw him. I saw where he come from that evening, and I was closer. Uh, I was actually north of where I thought that deer was bedding that evening. So when I saw him come from the north, I knew that he was actually bedding further north than what I thought. So it really helped me. I saw him that evening, and then I hunted that exact. I went in there early the next day, hunted that tree the next morning, and I saw him that morning about eight or nine o'clock. I don't think I got footage of him that morning, but he was headed. He was headed north. Headed back to right bed. Back to, headed back to bed. So that's when I was like, "All right, all right, I, I know what you're doing now." So I made a move midday that morning. And I eased out there to where I had saw him. And there was a tree there. And I had walked by that tree before earlier in the year, which it wasn't dropping. And they were just absolutely mauling that tree. <laughs> and when I walked up to it, and it's right on the edge of some thick cover, I knew. I mean, it was just like he walked into the light. I knew I was going to have an opportunity at him right there. So how far was that from where you were set up previously? Um, I believe it was about. 80 to 90 yards. That's crazy. So. It's so funny, yeah. man, because it's like, it, it's, it's, it's that, or, and sometimes even less that you're just outside the game. You know yeah. what I mean? It's yeah. like, and getting that visual was like, was everything was actually seeing yeah, what that, he was doing. Yeah. Me seeing him, actually me seeing him that morning headed north to bed. That's, that's what got him killed. Right. Because if I wouldn't have, I might've not ever walked out there. Um, Right, because why would you at that point? Right, because you're seeing him. Right yeah, because I'm getting area. him on that. I'm getting him right there where I, you know, where I was hunting. So, yeah. so yeah, that that pretty much killed him. And I, I mean, it was one of them deals. I mean, I mean, I pretty much caught it. I was like, I, you know, I'll I'll see him right here, and and yeah. you know, and then man, the stars just lined up. I think it was one of them deals. It was just obviously it was meant to be. I've never even heard of a story like that. I yeah. mean, it was just it was. It was unreal. So, so we're now we're at November first, right? D Day, if you will. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, walk me through like what was your access into this spot? Because like for me at least, like I mean, to your point, man, you saw him go back to bed. You know where this Joker's staying. You know what yeah. tree he's going to want to come to. Like I would have been on pins and needles, knowing that, like, man, I would have been making, I would have been puckered up so tight making coal, man. You know what I mean? Like yeah, as far so- as like, I'm mean, like, I got to make sure my ass, my access is perfect. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just like going through my checklist, like how did you kind of, what was your access like? And what was your kind of thought process as you're kind of going into that day? Well, so it, I mean, it, like I say, the stars lined up, this was on the 30th that morning. I saw him, uh, I needed a North Northeast wind. That's what I had that morning. Well, when I made that midday move, it, I mean, it couldn't have worked out any, any more perfect. We're talking, uh, let's say it's Halloween now, the 31st. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> the wind was actually going to switch that evening. So I knew I had actually climbed up in the tree that I ended up killing him out of. But I knew I could not hunt that evening. I knew I was going to have to get out of there, which I had to anyway. It was, uh, that's Halloween night. And I promised, uh, my girlfriend, we, we carried her and her daughter out trick-or-treating. I right. made that promise. So I was like, you know, we're, we're going to go do that. So we did. And I told her, I said the next morning, uh, it was, uh, it was just after the full moon and I wanted to be in the tree. I actually wanted to be in the tree 
by nine thirty, ten o'clock that mm-hmm. next morning. Mm-hmm. And I was late. Um, I was a little late. I got in there at mile 11 or something like that. And, you know, it's one of the deals I tell everybody. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It, just, it, it was just meant to be. I climbed the tree, got my camera set up, did my little intro. And I don't think it was 15 or 20 minutes. And I looked up and there he was. Well, 30 in the evening, eight steps, walks right under me. And if you saw it, you saw it. I mean, it, yeah. you know, yeah. there's no, I can't explain, you know, and I, I've caught a lot of flack for my reaction. Dude, whatever. But, I don't even, I mean, <laughs> those people can go kick rocks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and that's what I tell people. I don't, I can't explain that feeling when it, when it all come together. But I mean, the stress I went under, like you see it explode out of my body. Like it was just. I thought you were going to fall out of the tree, man. man. I, I was worried for oh, your health. I, I definitely, yeah, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely thought I was too. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, anyone who's giving you flack for that, man, can kick rocks, dude. It's like that's a once in a lifetime. Yeah, that you know, and it's experience. not and just like, the, not just the size of the deer, but just the 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 whole story. That'll never, that'll never happen for me ever. yeah yeah that'll never happen again six encounters on a world-class animal like that to where it's like you play the yin and yang with him you go the yo-yo like the whole the whole deal man i mean it's like yeah i mean anyone who doesn't yeah. just lose their marbles after something like that like i i, I question whether they got a pulse yeah. <laughs> you know I mean, what i'm saying but <clears throat> you know i was you know i was thankful for the for the opportunity and and you know i mean i Obviously, that that whole story is a you know that's a different, just a whole different deal. But I mean, I get excited with any animal I'm I'm after. I mean, I killed a really good deer last year. I videoed all it. I'm in the in the process of editing it all now to try to get it out in a couple of weeks. And nice. I mean, man, I just get excited, and that's just me. And I know that's not for everybody, but I'm not going to change who I am for anybody. Yeah. Um, I love to hunt. I it excites me. Uh. And man, that's, it's my passion. And, um, man, I will take, yeah. I will take your reaction all day long over the ones you see on other, on other videos. It's like, Oh, I just killed him. Want to, want to thank my, all my NASCAR sponsors. <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're I, I want to yeah. say. It's like the Ricky Bobby. Like if you don't chew big red, if you, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> That's like yeah. some of it is what it feels like, man. So I appreciated just like the, the honest, like reaction man like that's what it's all about is getting pumped up yeah. like that dude so yeah dude I, I couldn't believe it man six i think it was six encounters right is what it was yeah killed him on the sixth time i saw him yeah, yeah. it's just bananas. And, and, and i'm sorry and that ahead. was you know well i was gonna say I, you know that's obviously that's the only deer i've ever had that kind of uh encounters with that many times but mm-hmm. um yeah man it, it was unreal and be honest with you, I'm glad glad it was over. <laughs> I bet, man. <laughs> I, I bet for what he ended up what he ended up scoring. Like, he ended up being a state record, wasn't he? Uh, with with the longbow. With uh, the longbow. Yeah, with longbow. He uh, I just had him officially scored for Pope Young back in uh February. He uh grossed on the Pope Young scale. He grossed one eighty three and some change. Mm-hmm. And netted uh one seventy eight and some change. Nice. And then on the on the Buckmaster scale, he was one eighty six and some change and I forget what he netted on that. I don't 
keep up too much with the score deal or whatever. But, um, nice. yeah, that's a that's a beast, man. I, great story. I mean, for people out there that are listening, if you haven't seen the video, like the, the I'll, I'll give you a chance to kind of plug your YouTube channel and stuff like that because I want to make sure people see it because it's a killer hunt. It's a, an amazing, amazing deer, and just the whole process, dude, was was awesome. I, I, it was, uh, it was time well spent for me sitting in my basement, watch it, <laughs> watching the video. So, um, well, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, you bet, dude. But, uh, I have one last question for you, man, that I always kind of like to end with. It's always kind of a, a brain twister. If you're, if you're game for it, you ready? Sure. All right. So you are the coach of a basketball team, not a basketball team of a hunting team. And, uh, you have three buck tags to fill on a piece of public land somewhere, wherever it doesn't matter where, and you have mm-hmm. to pick, three guys to fill those tags and your life depends on it. They can be dead. They can be alive. They can be people, you know, people you don't know. It doesn't matter. Who are those three people that you're, uh, that you're picking with your, with your hiding the line? Uh, number one would be my brother. No doubt. Josh. Nice. Um, man, that's a tough one. It's a stumper. That's why I always like to save it for last, man. Like, yeah, no doubt. My brother, number one, uh, I probably have to go with my buddy Drew Bounds. He's an absolute killer. Anywhere he goes. Nice. Uh, and uh public land. Yeah, definitely a stomper, man. Yeah. If you only got two, if you're like, hey, these guys are the only two I need, then hey, we can roll with that too. Oh, I, if I had them two guys with me, I'm I'm and myself, I'm feeling pretty, pretty damn good. There you go. Coach, GM, and player. That's how you're going to roll. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no doubt. <laughs> nice, man. Well, hey, before I let you get going, brother, let people know where they can find out more about you, where they can watch that video, and then where they can follow along with whatever you got going on this uh, this fall. Oh, uh, yeah. So YouTube's just my name, Jonathan Moreland. Uh, and then, uh, of course, I'm on Instagram, my name, and then Facebook. So Nice. Awesome. And then I'll have, uh, <clears throat> I'm currently in the process now of getting, I've got quite a few videos that'll be out on YouTube this year and, uh, three or four hunts and, uh, going to have some informational stuff out there too this year. So just, just kind of getting started with it. So there'll be some videos pop up here pretty soon. Awesome, man. Well, uh, good luck to you this season, brother. I appreciate you coming on and, uh, let's make sure we stay in touch and I'll let you know whenever the, uh, when the traditional experience starts on my end. Thank you, man. Good luck. Appreciate it, Clint. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.